as we were talking to our kids last night, I asked a question. I said, okay, so we always focus on Jesus coming for us. Why did he come? And there's great answers. But, but what would you say? Why did Jesus come? We would, well, to redeem us, to save us for our sin, from our sins. But there's a base one that, that I tend to just forget. Why did Jesus come for us? Because he loved us. One of the most greatest humbling theological truths that you and I must grasp is that our God loves us. Because God loved us so much, he would send his only begotten son. The benefits of that are that he redeemed us. The benefits of that are that he has saved us. And, that, and the benefits of that are that we are going to heaven and we're always going to forever be in his presence. Those are the great rewards of clinging to Christ. But he came because he loved us. That song that we sing, parents, if we're not singing it to our kids, we need to continue singing it, but sometimes we need to sing it to ourselves. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That should humble us, that our God would love us. He loved us from the beginning, and the plan for the Savior was from the beginning. I do not think, to be fair, that I'm going to get through all these tabs right here in the Bible, okay? This is, these are Old Testament, pretty clear prophecies and semi-clear prophecies that point to the fact that a Savior would come for us. Jesus doesn't appear until right here in the flesh. But all these prophecies before, and again, these aren't even all of them. So the, the plan today is for us to just begin in Genesis and just start flipping to the right to see how God was planning and, and planning us and providing for us a Savior. So this is going to be different than one of our typical type sermons where we take a verse or verses and we really kind of press into them. This is looking from Genesis, moving to the right, moving to the New Testament, how God just kept showing again and again that a Savior was coming. All right? Y'all good with that? We're going to move as quickly as we can. I also cannot preach a three to five minute sermon on each one of these verses. It's going to be, hey, take a look at this. You know what? We saw that in Jesus. And we're just going to kind of keep moving on through. What I hope the end result is, is this. Our God was so intentional in his coming for us. The light was planned from the beginning. This, Jesus was not plan B. He was plan A from the beginning. He was in the beginning of creation. He will be at the end of creation and all of creation will sing his praise. So this is, this is going to be slightly different. So you're going to need your, your, your full Bible, so not just your Philippian Scripture Journal. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. All right. Now, while you're getting to Genesis chapter 3, that's going to be your easiest book to find, by the way. Okay. By the way, these are not all going to be in chronological order. That was not my intent. My intent, I know, my intent was to be in the order of your Bible so we can keep flipping to the right. We didn't want to do Bible gymnastics where we were going back and forth this morning. We're just going to start at the right. We're going to keep flipping pages uh, as we move that direction. While you're getting to Genesis, listen to Luke chapter 24. This would have been amazing. Okay? I wanted to, I, if I could go back to a moment, I would want to be in this moment. So, so Christ has been crucified. He's been buried. He's been resurrected and on the road to Emmaus. I'm starting in, in Luke 24, 13. Y'all just listen. That very day, two of them, the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he, this is Jesus, though they don't know it's Jesus, he's veiled from them right now. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But he had hoped, I'm sorry, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now listen to verse 27. This is a moment I would want to be there. In Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I mean, he just gave them the most Jesus-centered, God-glorifying Bible study that could ever exist. He said, let's go back to the beginning now. And let me show you how it's all been about me. So go to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to begin our journey. And we're going to make it as far as we can. The goal is not to complete the, the task. I can send you all the scripture references later. The goal is that we see that our God has been providing from the beginning. Okay, so in Genesis 3.15, and again, I, I can't even layer in all the context. But in Genesis 3.15, God is speaking to Adam and Eve and the serpent. And he says to the serpent in, in verse 14, because you've done this, cursed are you. And then in 15, he says, I, God, will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring, singular offspring. I'm sorry, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Y'all, this is the, it's called the proto-evangelicum. This is the first evangelistic message, the first telling of the gospel that our Christ would come. From Genesis 3 on, they and all of humanity has been looking for a Savior. We were meant to worship, and we have been seeking that Savior. That's why throughout the rest of this, this Old Testament journey, every king that would come, if you read the Old Testament, they think every king is the king. That was promised. They're always looking for the Messiah. They're always looking for the prophet because they were promised from the beginning that there would be one who would come and redeem mankind. Okay, now I'm in Genesis 12, 3. We're just going to keep on moving because God just kept on moving. All right, Genesis 12, 3. It's part of the call of Abraham. And so... In Genesis 12, 3, Abraham is given this promise from God. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're going to see a couple like this here pretty quick. Why is this pointing to Christ? Because Christ comes through the line of Abraham. So the promise to Abraham, the blessings to all the nations is ultimately going to come through Christ. So it's layered in right there. Okay, we're going to keep flipping. This is how it's going to go. This is fun. We have kids, remember? Okay. I skipped over one right there. I'm sorry. I'm in Genesis 17, 19. So we saw the promise to Abraham. Genesis 
1719, Genesis 1719, God said no to Abraham. He says to Abraham, because Abraham says, oh, Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Do you know why Isaac and that everlasting covenant matter? Because Jesus is in the line, not only of Abraham, but of Isaac as well. And so for that everlasting covenant to be made to Isaac is ultimately pointing forward to the everlasting covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. All right, these are kind of vague with you right now, but I'm showing you how all of Genesis matters. Okay, go to Genesis 49, I'm sorry, 48.10. I don't think that that's what I meant. 49.10, thank you. 49.10. In Genesis 49.10, the scepter, it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Well, what's that telling us? That the Messiah is going to come not only from Abraham, not only from Isaac, but from Judah. Do you know what we know about Jesus Christ? He not only came from Abraham, not only from Isaac, but he came from Judah. So we're going to see all these things keep layering in over and over again. But if you can imagine, if you were an Israelite, just kind of take hold of this real quick for all this to, to make sense. Whenever you learn that sin is in the world and that you're going to struggle and you're facing hardships and you're, you're looking forward to a Messiah who will come, then these mean something. We have a peace right now and a joy as we sing that they didn't have. We're looking back at the Messiah and his death, and we're looking forward to fully being with him, not only partly being with him. We're in the, the not yet, right? But they didn't even have that. They just had a promise that there's going to be a Messiah who comes, and he's going to come through Abraham, he's going to come through Isaac, he's going to come from Judah. All of this is just continuing to be a promise. I'm now in Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. Exodus 12, 46. In Exodus 12, 46, you might think, though, this is kind of a weird, weird passage to point to. It doesn't say Jesus at all. But this is whenever the Passover is first instituted. The Passover meal, we call Jesus our Passover lamb. Look in Exodus 12, 46. It shall, the the Passover lamb, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. And look at this. You shall not break any of its bones. That's awesome. You know what we, I know. Everybody's like, why? Okay, remember Jesus on the cross? Not one of his bones was broken. The Passover lamb who ultimately died for us from the beginning of the Passover institution, they weren't even to break the Passover lamb's bones and his bones on the cross were not broken either. So there's all these pictures that whenever we read it in that time, we'd probably been like, okay, don't break its bones. We won't do it. Now we look back and we see a fuller picture. All right. Okay, we're going to keep on moving to our right. Take a look at Numbers 24, verse 17. Thanks, Andy. In Numbers 24, 17, we hear this. Actually, let me just build into it because it's a good one. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. And this is what he says. I see him 
but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Now, what you need to know is prophecies were both foretelling and foretelling. Okay, foretelling in that whenever they were spoken, it spoke forth like what was going on in that moment. So it had a relevance then that they understood, but it also pointed foretelling to something even greater that was to come. So this still meant something to them. It still meant something that, um, that, Mo, that the forehead of Moab would be crushed. It still meant something then. They had hope in that moment, but there's a fuller reality that we ultimately keep seeing. But this also tells us that there will be a star and he will come out of Jacob. And you know what? If we look at the genealogy, we just see that Jesus is right in line with all of these. Now I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Is this pace okay with y'all? Okay. I want it to be beneficial. I want it to be equipping. At the same time, it is overwhelming to just, because it's like a snowball that begins to roll downhill and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, especially once we hit the Psalms. Okay. This is one that we might have missed if we didn't know to watch for it, but we now look back and say, I'll see what you were doing, God. Okay, so in Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses is speaking, and here's what Moses says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God, and then it goes on. So this is Moses, the greatest prophet, the one prophet that, that everyone at that moment would say, he's the one who speaks to God, we should listen to him. And you know what? We know they didn't like listening to Moses either. Like they grumble, they complain. And Moses says, but there will come a prophet. And they, they did know that this meant that there's going to come a prophet who is much greater than Moses, and we will listen to him. Because they wouldn't listen to Moses, but they would listen to him. This prophet is ultimately Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to keep moving to the right. We are still in, oh, nope, sorry, we're now in 2 Samuel. You, the reason we're moving to the right is you don't have to, to sit there and go back to your table of contents. We're, we're not moving chronologically, we're just moving to the right. This is also a good teaching moment for the kids. Right, left. We're just going to keep them going right. So if they ever go left, then you know you have to work on something. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Through 13. This is God's, in the midst of God's covenant with David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. Keep in mind, Jesus doesn't appear until about 800 pages later in most of our Bibles. In 12 and 13, he's talking to David, who was the man after God's own heart, who was the king that most thought, that, that most thought was the Messiah who was coming. But he was just a king. And God speaking to him, he says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I, God, will raise up your offspring, singular, after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him like a father, and he shall, to, shall be to me a son. And that's a good place where we can, we, can, we can keep going on. Now, keep in mind, as you're reading this, you're seeing that there's a foretelling prophecy. There's actually going to be a legit offspring that comes from David who will build a house for the Lord. But there's also a foretelling because, look, this is a covenant that will never end. 
This is a throne that will never end. So King David, the, the covenant that God made with him, that covenant of your throne will never end, it never ends. It is picked up by Jesus Christ and it's fulfilled greatest in Jesus Christ. We're going to keep turning. Now we are in the Psalms and we got a lot in the Psalms. I've said many times that the Psalms to me is one of the most human books. I love to read the Psalms because I can read in the Psalms and it kind of echoes with how I'm feeling some days. But in the Psalms, we're also going to see that there are many places where Jesus echoes parts of the Psalms or lives out parts of the Psalms. And a good explanation for you and me on that is our Christ was human. He truly suffered. He truly lamented. He truly bled. He was truly betrayed. He lived the fullest human experience that could possibly be lived. Take a look at Psalms chapter 2. In verse 6, 7, and 6 through 12, actually. So this is, a, this is a popular psalm because it's usually one of the first ones that people can read as they're starting their new Bible reading plan. It's one that most people are familiar with. And it starts with, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? But by the time you get to 6, here's what God is saying to them. Actually, you got to get verse 4 because it's just great. Verse 4, he who sits in heaven laughs. All the nations can rage. They can plan all they want. And God who is in heaven, he just laughs, Right? He doesn't need our acceptance. He doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need our planning. He laughs as everyone opposes him in sin because he knows what he's doing. So in verse 6 through 12, look at this. This is before Jesus is born in a manger, y'all. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son. And he's talking about Jesus. Today I have begotten you. Right? Jesus, the only begotten son. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and to the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, God says to the, to the world, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So even in Psalm 2, there is a king who is coming, a king who is already a king who is coming for us, a king who is already established with God the Father, and he is coming to rule. And our way of having peace before God is to kiss the Son, to love the Son and find peace totally in him. We flip over and we're in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. It says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. You can read that in a beautiful psalm in and of itself, but you know what we look at whenever, or you know what we realize whenever we see Jesus? That it was out of the mouths of babies and infants that he cared. Like he didn't want the children to stay away from him. The children knew who Jesus was and they would flock to him. So we see a fulfillment of this. This was ultimately pointing forward to him, that God will bring his praises out from the mouths of children. I'm in Psalm 16, Psalm 1610. Again, there's context all around these. What I did in my Bible, by the way, I guess I could have told you this at the beginning, but I didn't. I just put a little red underline under the verse and so that whenever I'm reading my Bible, I remember, hey, this has a fuller reality in Jesus Christ. If that didn't make any sense to you, don't worry about it. We're going on. Psalm 1610. Look at this. Psalmist is writing and he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. 
they would look at this and they would know that Jesus would be resurrected. It was a known that the Messiah would be betrayed, that the Messiah would be crucified. We're going to see those Psalms. But they believed that the Messiah would be resurrected. He will not see corruption. Jesus did not see corruption. He became sin for us, but the corruption there is that he would go to Sheol and he would suffer and be left dead. He has been resurrected. So Psalm 1610 reminds us that the true righteous one did not see corruption. You and I can seek to be righteous, but we are not the righteous one. I'm in Psalm 22. Now, some would say that Jesus would recite these because he was so, um, because he studied scripture so much in his upbringing. Sure, I'm good with, with Jesus knowing the scriptures because he studied them. I think it's more simplistic than that. That the spirit that inspired the words to be moved through David and through the psalmist is the same spirit of which Jesus was because it is a triune God. So Jesus didn't have to study the scripture. He inspired the scripture. And he's echoing what he had already moved men to write. And so therefore in 22.1, I hear the weight so much more differently. My God, my God, David wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Who else said that but our Lord on the cross? On the cross as a young, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a fuller reality than that psalm right there. I have a little red underline under verse 1 to remind me to think of Jesus. Go on to verse 7. Tell me if this is not Jesus. All who see me, so even though David's writing, we hear the, the voice of Jesus. All who see me mock me. They make mouths of me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Remember whenever Jesus hung on the cross, they walked by and they said, let him save himself. Let him come down. He who would save others, let him save himself. Look at verse 16 of verse 22. He says, for the dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers evildoers encircles me. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots, which is exactly what we see in the crucifixion of the Lord. Now go to verse 20, or I'm sorry, chapter 24. This is another resurrection one. As I read this, I can't help but think of the Lord ascending into heaven. I'm just going to do all of 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And then this, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? In other words, who's righteous enough? And then it tells us, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, which just reminds me that in his mouth there was no deceit. In him there was no sin. He who knew no sin. Okay, verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Therefore, listen to this. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? Jesus Christ. He is ascending in this moment. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, and the Lord of hosts is Jesus. So caught up in this moment, David's writing these words, and it just reminds us that our king ascended on high. I'm still in Psalms. I'm going as quick as I can. I'm in Psalm 34, verse 20. This is going to remind us of the Passover. Psalm, 30, um, Psalm 34, verse 20. 
He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. It's just one of those that's kind of nestled in there. Hey, God takes care of the righteous, but he is the righteous one. And not one of his bones was broken. I'm just going to point out, fun fact for everyone, I've never broken a bone. That's just a fun. I've chipped teeth and I've broken teeth, but, and those might be bone-like, but um, that just means that I'm probably going to have a bone broken pretty soon. God's like, here's your humility. It's just a fun fact for everyone. Look at uh, 3511. Malicious witnesses rise up and they ask of me things I do not know. They would read this even then in the context that the Messiah, um, 3511, uh, malicious witnesses um, will rise up. This is just pointing again. This reminds us that the righteous one hung on the cross and witnesses would rise up and they gave false testimony during his crucifixion. Now look at 3519. It's just, again, the Messiah will be falsely, falsely accused. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. Let not those who wink the eye, who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. Even this, as we're talking about, and read that whole, that whole psalm, that, that the Lord is great and he's preparing a Messiah. And they knew that the Messiah who would come ultimately would not only be crucified, but that he would be betrayed as well. Okay, I'm moving on. Some of these again. Go back and read some, read some more. Look at 41.9. I think that whenever David wrote these, by the way, I think David meant it in the context of what he was writing. But now we, knowing Jesus and Jesus' life and death and crucifixion and resurrection, we see that God has been putting this into the text for us. And so whenever we read it, there's moments that are going to happen whenever you're going to be reading, you're going to be like, that rem- that's like a Jesus moment, right? Like, I'm just showing you that they're in there. 41.9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. What does it say in the Gospels? That he to whom I give this morsel of bread, he will betray me. It's just one of those, whenever you know of Jesus and, what Jesus, and the Jesus narrative and all of that, you understand these more. Look at um, Psalm 45, 6 and 7. And I'm just telling you, I've got about 20 more that we're not going to get to. I'll send you all the passages. I just want you to see how the Lord just kept pointing to the, to the truths of a Savior. As we read in Psalm 45, 6 and 7, in its original text, just think about what this would mean. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil and gladness beyond your companies. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from ivory palaces. Stringed instruments make you glad. If you look at this and you read, and David is, I'm sorry, they're writing, and they're saying your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and then it says that your God is going to bless and anoint you, then you have to realize that this is what's called a messianic psalm. And some of these that we've been looking at are, looking at are actually messianic psalms, which means that they are psalms about the Messiah. I'm just giving you some key passages out of them. In this one, your throne, O God, Jesus, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God the Father, your God, Jesus, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant 
we know that our Savior has come for us. There are more in Psalms. I'm going to kind of skip back here real quick because I know that my time is, is getting tight. I want to go to Psalm, or I'm sorry, to Isaiah 53. I'm going to Isaiah 53, the greatest of all prophecies. This written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born in a manger. What are all these tabs in between? I'll get them to you if you want them. Whenever I say Isaiah 53, we're actually going to be starting in Isaiah 52:13. This is one of those times whenever I think that they didn't do the chapters and the verses like in the most helpful way to us today. Here is the prophecy of our Messiah who would come. Behold, Isaiah wrote, My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred. Now notice how it's saying in the past tense. This is what we call the prophetic past. It's a prophecy, but the prophecy is written, is, the prophecy is written here about something that will happen here, but it's already being accomplished because the prophecy is true. Does that make sense? So it's a prophetic past tense. Here is our Jesus. Keep in mind, why in the world would he come for us? Because he loved us. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told of them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. So everything building up to this moment. Here's what it says. Who has believed what he's heard from us? All of this. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Here we go. For he, Jesus, that's who this is about. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. Prophetic past. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. As we read all these passages, we see that those were all prophesied, y'all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he had been cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And that's also in some of these prophecies. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of God the Father to crush him, Jesus. He, God, has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, which is prophesied in the Old Testament, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, which is the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament. 
Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities, which is prophesied in the Old Testament. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And so I read that. And there's Isaiah, and I can take you to Zechariah. I can take you through so many more in Psalms. I could show you where the prophecy is that he would be um, born in Galilee, that the children would be murdered because Herod wanted to try and stop the birth of the Messiah. We could look at all of these prophecies. They're all right here. We could see that the righteous one would come. But here's what I want you to get. Knowing all the prophecies to be true, knowing all of his betrayal and affliction, knowing that he would be uh, marred beyond human semblance. Still, in Matthew 1, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, knowing all that he would suffer and endure. Our Christ came for us, born in the flesh, and now listen to this as we close, John 3, 16. Why? All the prophecies, all the betrayal, all the bloodshed, all the mocking, all the ridicule. God promises it from the beginning that his bruise will be healed. There's a psalm where it says that they have pierced my feet and my hands. For all of this, why in the world would he come? And it's because of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All the prophecies are true because Jesus loves us. It's so simple, y'all. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And it was prophesied from the beginning. If y'all want to go ahead and come on up here. If you read all the prophecies, here is what you would have heard. You ready for this? He would be born of a woman and crushed Satan, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin from the line of Abraham, from the line of Isaac, from the line of Jacob, from the, line, from the tribe of Judah. He was an heir to King David's throne. The throne would be anointed and eternal. The Messiah called Emmanuel would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would spend time in Egypt. There would be a massacre of children that would happen at the Messiah's birthplace, that the messenger would prepare the Messiah's way, which I did not even get to John the Baptist. The Messiah would be a prophet. The Messiah would be preceded by Elijah, which is John the Baptist. That The Messiah would be declared the Son of God, would be called a Nazarene, would bring light to Galilee, would speak in parables, that he would be sent to heal the brokenhearted, be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, that he would be called the king, that he would be praised by little children, that he would be rejected by his own people, that he would be betrayed, that there would be money that would be placed on his head to buy a potter's field. We know about his betrayal there. That he would be falsely accused, silent before accusers, that he would be spat upon and struck, that he would be hated without cause, that he would be crucified with criminals, that he would be given vinegar to drink, that his feet would be pierced, that he would be mocked and ridiculed, that soldiers would 
gamble for his garments, that his bones would not be broken, that he would be forsaken by God, that he would pray for his enemies, that he would be pierced by soldiers, that he would be buried by the rich, that he would be resurrected from the dead, that he would ascend to heaven, and that he would be seated at the right hand of God, and that he would be a sacrifice for sin, and all of that before Jesus was ever born into a manger, and he came because he loved us. Let's pray. Lord, may we never forget that you are our God and that you came for us and that you're bringing us home. Amen.